Well, greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Central Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bear Spa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. This weekend, I want to wish all the mothers here a happy Mother's Day. The biological moms, the spiritual moms, we're so grateful to God for your influence in our lives, how God uses you to make a difference. So thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, We've come to the third week of the four-week sermon series, Revive Us Again. Uh, By now, I hope we are familiar with our definition of revival. Revival is not an evangelistic campaign that is aimed at targeting non-Christians, but it is primarily a work of God in awakening the church. In revival, nominal Christians come alive in their walk with God. There's a greater intensity of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. And this movement of God reverses the spiritual decline and raises the spiritual temperature of a congregation. While revival is a sovereign work of God and we cannot manufacture it, we're not altogether passive in this process either. We have a role to play in cooperating with God and partnering with Him in what He wants to do in our life. So to see revival... The church needs to reclaim some things, return back to some things. We need to reclaim prayer. We need to reclaim the Word of God, the Bible. And today I want to talk to you about reclaiming the Spirit. Revival is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what does an outpouring of the Holy Spirit look like today? Are we talking about emotions going out of control? Laughter, tears, all kinds of spiritual euphoria. How do we discern what we are seeing is the work of the Holy Spirit and not mere emotionalism? Several revivals in history had to actually wrestle with this very issue. I want you to carefully listen to what I have to say here. Here's the deal. Human beings are emotional beings. What is life without emotions? We get excited about the things that we are passionate about. If you don't agree with me, go to a Flames playoff game and you will be convinced of what I'm saying. I think more prayers go out to God from the hockey arena than sometimes even at the church. So when you go to a hockey game, you see a variety of heightened emotions. Nobody expects the crowd to be quiet and somber. But why would we expect revivals to be stoic and reserved? If God had come, has come down in our midst, will that not have an effect on our emotions? Jonathan Edwards, well-respected theologian and one of the chief figures behind the first great awakenings of the 18th century, dealt with this very issue back then. Some critics questioned the emotional expressions of spirituality in Edwards' church. And in response to that, Jonathan Edwards published one of the most significant materials on revival called The Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God. Here, Edwards wrote, a work is not to be judged by any effects on the bodies of men, such as tears, trembling, groans, loud outcries, agonies of body, or the failing of bodily strength. They neither confirm nor deny a genuine work of God. So just because you see emotions don't conclude that it is the Holy Spirit, And just because you don't see emotions, don't assume the Holy Spirit is absent. Edwards went on to articulate from the Bible what he believed are the true marks of a revival. This is how we measure the genuine from the counterfeit. These are the sure evidences of the Holy Spirit of God at work. 
In a true revival, first of all, Jesus will be esteemed. He will be honored and glorified. The devil who produces counterfeit works will not exalt the name of Jesus. Secondly, in a true revival, people are drawn from sin to God's righteousness. Revival leads to holiness. If there is a no passion for holiness, then let's not call it a revival. Thirdly, in a genuine revival, people have a greater regard for Scripture. There will be an increasing hunger for the Bible, the Word of God. And fourthly, there will be transformation in people's lives. Revival is not about euphoric, emotional, spiritual experiences, but we're talking about lasting life change that's produced by the Spirit of God. And lastly, there will be greater love for God and a greater love for our fellow people. That's the great commandment. So a clear evidence of a deep work of the Holy Spirit is that we are able to live out the great commandment, love God and love our fellow people. So according to Jonathan Edwards, these are the marks of a genuine movement of God, whether there are emotions attached to it or not. And it sets the stage for what I want to talk to you today. This will clarify what we are really after, what we are truly seeking. Now, if you want to see a revival in action, what revival looks like in the life of a church, then all you have to do is open your New Testament to the book of Acts and start reading. Because Acts is the ultimate paradigm for revival. The Holy Spirit of God filled the early church and all the true marks of revival were evident. So if we want to see revival today, we need to reclaim the Spirit's power both in our personal lives and collectively as the body of Christ. The text that we're going to look at today is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Lord, we prepare our hearts today to receive from you. Grant us, Lord, a, a true hunger for your presence. You meet that hunger by demonstrating your Spirit's presence in this place. We want to encounter you. So speak to us through the power of your Word. Prepare our hearts for what we're going to do at the end of the service. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated.
what we just read are the final words of Jesus during His public ministry here on earth. If you remember in Matthew chapter 28, the risen Jesus told His disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, the emphasis there is on the word go. Don't congregate here in Jerusalem, but go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But here in the book of Acts, right before His ascension, Jesus in His final words is not urging His disciples to go. He's not giving a, a passionate charge for rallying His troops to leave Jerusalem. And Jesus is asking them to wait in Jerusalem. He's ordering them not to leave yet. Why? Has Jesus not prepared them all along for three and a half years? Has his mission of dying on the cross and conquering death through his resurrection not been already accomplished? Is there no urgency to take this message to the ends of the earth? Jesus is crystal clear in his final words. He's commanding his disciples to wait. For Jesus knew if the disciples had stepped out at that moment, it would have been in their own strength. They would have to take on hostile oppositions. They would be so overwhelmed by the challenges that they could not stand up to it in their own strength. So Jesus told them to wait to receive the gift the Father had promised, the gift of His Holy Spirit. Now, there is a lesson for us today. We cannot take on the challenges of this world and engage in the mission of Jesus in our own strength. Now, our resources and our creativity will simply let us down. Our willpower and resilience will not be able to stand up to these daunting challenges. So we also have to wait to receive power from on high. Jesus says to his disciples, just as John baptized you with water, in the same way, in a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism is a metaphor or a word picture. It signifies being drenched, immersed, soaked, and saturated. You've seen baptisms here. When we baptize a person, we submerge them in water, and we bring them out, and they are soaking wet. Now, Jesus says he offers a similar baptism. He plunges us in His Spirit. He drenches us in the very life of the triune God so we are inundated and soaked in God's very presence. The next chapter, Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit descending on the day of Pentecost. The promise that Jesus was referring to came to pass. And the apostle Peter stood before the crowd and testified that what they were witnessing right now was a fulfillment of prophecy. Peter quotes from the book of Joel in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, if you read your Old Testament, you will see that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is already active in the Old Testament. But we don't have the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. The Spirit did not inhabit all people. 
But the sign of the new covenant is God's Spirit will be poured out on all who believe, young and old. Age is not a consideration. This is not a special privilege that is reserved for a select few. There will be no distinction or favoritism. Even the servants will have the Holy Spirit resting on them. The lowest people in the social hierarchy of that time, the male and female servants, even they will not be exempt from this miracle. Now that is the Christian testimony. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit at our conversion. All Christian believers have the Holy Spirit within us. Now, having said that, let me clarify something. We don't receive all that the Holy Spirit has for us at the time of our conversion. No one can exhaust all of the work of the Holy Spirit the time we begin the Christian life. Now, if the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and He is divine, it makes no sense for us to say we have all of the Holy Spirit. There's always more because He is infinite in His nature. We will receive ongoing empowerments, multiple encounters that will take us deeper and deeper in our spiritual journey. And the Bible itself uses many different expressions to speak of the fullness of the Spirit in the life of a believer. Call it baptism of the Spirit, filling of the Spirit, empowerment of the Spirit, anointing of the Spirit, pouring of the Spirit. It's just various ways of describing the same reality. It denotes the saving, sanctifying, and empowering dimensions of the Spirit's ministry in the life of a believer. So that starts at conversion, but it doesn't stop there. It's a lifelong journey. A Christian scholar, Dr. Craig Keener, helps us to understand this clearly when he says, conversion gives us access to the whole package of the Spirit's work, but neither conversion nor a single experience after conversion frees us from the need to seek God's empowerment in practice. So we have full access to the Holy Spirit at conversion, but we don't appropriate all of the ministry of the Holy Spirit the time we start the Christian life. So what we need is not a, a single experience or a second experience, but we need an ongoing relationship, ongoing surrender to the Holy Spirit who is a person. And this enables ordinary believers to engage in the mission of advancing Christ's kingdom. For that was one of the defining characteristics of the early church. For what was the promise of Jesus? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For a moment, place these words in its original context. They seem audacious, almost nonsensical. How can this little Jewish movement with a handful of followers from a remote city in some corner of the world reach the whole wide earth? How is that even possible? And what we see next is on the day of Pentecost, when 120 people had gathered in the upper room, they received the Holy Spirit's power, and they all became Christ's witnesses. And all through the book of Acts, we see the dynamic ministry of the Holy Spirit through ordinary believers. It's not just the apostles who testify to Jesus, but every single Christian is instrumental in advancing Christ's kingdom. 
Believers filled with the Holy Spirit boldly and courageously declared that Jesus has risen. He has defeated sin and death and there is salvation in no other name other than the name of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And through the witness of these ordinary believers, people were added to their numbers on a daily basis. And the promise comes to pass. The gospel spreads from Jerusalem to all Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. This is pertinent. Did the early followers of Jesus have access to a dynamic that you and I don't have access to today? Think about that for a moment. Did they have something that we don't have today? The point of the book of Acts is to convince us that we don't lack any special dynamic, that we have access to the same power source as did the early disciples of Jesus. Our problem is not that we don't have access to the power, our problem is we don't know how to plug into the power source that God has made available for each one of us. British preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, was a medical doctor, felt called by God to preach. He had a, a great passion, an incredible passion for revival. He pastored the historic Westminster Chapel in London. Now, Lloyd-Jones believed that revival at its essence is the repetition of the day of Pentecost. He claimed there's only one sense in which Pentecost cannot be repeated. It was the first in a series of revivals. Now, if you actually believe that, that is a groundbreaking truth for the church. Here's something you need to know. That Jesus' death on the cross will not be repeated. He had to die on the cross once and for all for our sins. The resurrection of Jesus will not be repeated. Jesus rose from the dead and he has conquered death. That is more than enough. The ascension of Jesus will not be repeated. Jesus ascended as Lord and King and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, is not just a one-time occurrence in the life of the church. Uh, granted, it is a unique turning point in salvation history that started off, that launched the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm not dismissing that. But what we see in Pentecost is a, a paradigm, a pattern that rings true even today. For even in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit did not come only once upon a gathered community, but that happens multiple times as the Spirit descended numerous times on a gathered community of God's people. The dynamic features that were associated with the day of Pentecost have clear implications for us today. Well, Pentecost was the day in the Old Testament when God gave the law to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. And now the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost to fulfill the new covenant. That is no coincidence. The laws of God will no longer be written on stone tablets, but they will be written on our hearts. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what do we see in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit filled the believers in the upper room, there were three visible signs. There was a sign of wind, there was fire, and then they're speaking in tongues. Three visible things in Acts chapter 2. You can read that for yourself. You know, in the original language, the word for wind can also be translated as breath. So for a Hebrew mind, the breath of God is associated with creation. God breathed life into Adam in Genesis chapter 1. 
And now God is involved in a new creation. He's forming a new humanity. And he breathes his very life into them to restore all forms of brokenness. So wind stands for new life or renewal. The presence of fire on the day of Pentecost signifies the purity of God and the holy life that he desires for his people who've been set apart. Fire is symbolic of God's holiness and the holiness that he desires for us today. And then they all spoke in tongues, languages that were understood by those around them. So people who had gathered there from all over Israel heard of the wonderful works of God in their own dialect. And that was a reminder for the early church that the gospel that has been entrusted to them is for the whole wide world. They cannot keep it to themselves. So the three prominent signs on the day of Pentecost stand for new life, holiness, and power for global witness. See, that is how Pentecost serves as a paradigm for revival today. For when the Holy Spirit comes today, that's what happens in our midst. Our spiritual life is renewed. We have a passion for holiness, and then an urge to take this gospel message to the whole wide world. An entire community of God's people are awakened by the Spirit. They are set on fire. They realign their priorities. They use their gifts, talents, and resources to advance God's kingdom. They serve actively, and the world around them is turned upside down for the glory of God. And I tell you, we need such divine visitations today to remind us of those spiritual realities and move us outside of our comfort zone. Because if that doesn't happen, it is so easy for so many of us to just become spiritually lukewarm and cool off. And it takes a visitation of God to awaken us from our sleep and tell us and urge us to move outside of our comfort zone. A Christian preacher and author, Francis Chan, raises a pertinent question. Listen to this. If it is true that the Spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of God living in him or her and the person who does not? Reflect on that for a moment. And then Francis Chan goes on to write, If the people outside the church don't see any radical difference in our lives, if we who claim to have the Holy Spirit live pretty much like the rest of the world, that our marriages, our parenting, our work ethic, our impact on the neighborhood is almost identical or marginally better off than those who don't have the Holy Spirit, then chances are we have bought into a cultural notion of Christianity. And I might add, that is a clear evidence that we have not tapped into the power source that God has freely made available for us. And yet, with all the resources God has made available to us, so many Christians set the bar way too low. We don't embrace all of the gospel. We are content to say a prayer and be on our way to heaven. It's nothing but a fire insurance policy. It doesn't make any difference in our lives in the now. And the book of Acts is a challenge for us today to once and for all do away with this watered-down, substandard Christian living. For when we receive Jesus, not only are we forgiven of our sins and guaranteed a place in heaven, but we also have the indwelling presence of God that brings transformation in the now. And Jesus is in the business of changing our whole lives. Hallelujah. 
Revival is a call to embrace the gospel of the kingdom. For when a church operates in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we see the kingdom of Jesus is alive even now in our midst. For we testify to the reign of God that all powers are subversive to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's no other power greater than the power of Christ. And a church is filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and saturated by his presence, we will see greater signs of the kingdom actively at work, a greater intensity of the kingdom of God in our midst. And that means broken lives will be mended. People will be healed emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Demonic forces will flee. Strongholds will be broken. Marriages will be restored. And there will be an overflow of the character qualities of the kingdom like love, joy, and peace. And so much so that anybody who walks into our community will know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've given you a high challenge. And all I have done is put the spotlight on the book of Acts, on Scripture, to give us a little glimpse of how the early church functioned. So that's a high challenge. But I want to finish with an invitation. I want to share with you a promise from God's Word, which I have cherished so much. I've claimed so many times, especially in this season of my life. God is eager to give us more of His Spirit. If your heart is longing for a fresh touch of God's Holy Spirit, then this is the promise of Jesus for you. Hear these words in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's Jesus' promise for you. Now in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about our heavenly Father giving good gifts to His children. But here in Luke, Jesus is referring to a specific gift, the best gift of all, the gift of God's presence. So when you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, you are asking for more of God. And here is the good news. God is eager to give more of himself to you. And when you have more of God's Spirit, when you are inundated and saturated by the Holy Spirit, then you receive personal revival. There's so many Christians who testify that experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit causes their Christian lives to come alive in a new way. And when we as a community become saturated by God's Holy Spirit, that is corporate revival. So as we close our service today, we're going to claim this promise of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, and believe that a good father delights in giving the best gifts to his children. Do you want more of God's inhabiting presence in your life? It is a holy desperation for God that leads to revivals and awakenings. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now. Those of you watching us from our other campuses, let's stand together, even those of you watching online. Just stand up as one church 
in many locations. I'm going to ask you to just stretch your hands, open it as a, a posture of receiving a gift. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you to be filled with God's Holy Spirit so we can be an empowered community of God's people engaging in the mission that Jesus has given to us. Even as we maintain a moment of silence and just close our eyes, this is a time for you to express your longing, your hunger, your desire for more of Jesus' presence to be manifested in your life through His Holy Spirit. And just relax. You don't have to strive for this. You don't have to work hard. You come like a little child before a good father who wants to give you the best gift, the gift of His presence. And we believe God always honors His Word. He's faithful to all of His promises. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and how much more your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. This is a time for you to ask your good heavenly Father for more of Himself, for more of the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit of God to come alive in a fresh way in your heart. So let's maintain a moment of silence and express our dependence on the Lord and, and ask Him, Claim His promise. Even as we pray right now, some of you will feel the physical presence of the Holy Spirit filling you. There's going to be an outburst of joy or a deep sense of peace. There may be a feeling of a wave just crashing over you. And there may be others you may not have any physical feelings, but it doesn't change the fact that God honors His Word. He is always faithful to his promises. We come before him as little children longing for a gift, the best gift that we can receive from him. So would you pray with me? Yes, Father, we come before your presence with that posture as a, a little child coming before the presence of a, a loving heavenly Father who wants the very best for us. That when we ask you for bread, you will not give us a stone. When we ask you for a fish, you will not give us a snake. That when we ask you for more of your presence, you will give us more of your Holy Spirit. That is your promise. We believe that and we claim that. So in the name of Jesus, would you send your Spirit in this place? We pray, come, Holy Spirit, and fill every person who is yearning, every heart that is reaching out to you, every person who longs for a fresh touch from you. Would you come right now and visit us, O Lord, that you will grant us a fresh outpouring of your Spirit's presence in this place. For you said in your word, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. We pray, open the floodgates in this place and let your presence come down, Lord, in power, in glory, in splendor, like a rushing mighty wind. May each one of us receive that empowerment, receive an overflow. Would you baptize us, Lord, in your spirit, drench us, Lord, in your presence that we will be soaked and overwhelmed by the presence of God, that it will reach out to the deep recesses of our heart, that every dry area in our life will be watered and will come alive in a fresh new way. 
We pray for a surge of new life. As we receive the Holy Spirit, may new life emerge within us that will result in power, power to be ambassadors of your kingdom, power to testify of the good news, power to be able to boldly share the good news. And I pray for those who are battling with bondages, if there's something from the past, an emotional trauma that's refusing to leave, a sinful pattern of life that has a stronghold, we pray that stronghold will be broken right now in the name of Jesus, that you will set your people free, that they will walk in the freedom and the liberty that you have purchased for them, Lord. So grant us more of your refreshing presence, Jesus. We need you more than anything else. We express our dependence on you. We confess that we cannot do this in our own strength. So God, help us to live a holy life. Help us to walk in the power of your Spirit, that, Lord, through this church and the fire that you light in our hearts, a great flame will come. And spread, Lord, and impact our neighborhoods, our city, our province, our nation, and will reach out to the whole wide world, Lord. We are believing you and we are trusting in you that you will revive us both individually and as a church, that we will live out your kingdom purposes for our generation. So we receive your power. We receive your strength. And now may we continue to walk in the fullness and the strength of your Holy Spirit. May you receive all the glory, honor, and praise. We ask all these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask you to take a seat for a moment. Let me remind you what just happened. We prayed. God honored His Word. He's a promise-keeping God. And He filled us with His Spirit. He empowered us in a new way. So we give Him all the praise for that. His promises are still true. And secondly, keep in mind, we are filled for a purpose. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is not self-serving. It is always for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. So an immediate question for us would be, Lord, how do you want me to use this power that I have received from you? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to engage in the ministry that you've called me to? So think about your specific role in the church because you've been empowered for that very purpose. That's how we live out the spirit-filled life. You know, in all of our campuses, our worship team will come up and lead us in a song, welcoming and affirming the Spirit's presence in our midst. And after the song, we were going to have a time of ministry, and prayer. So even as you sing, I want you to be thinking about what's something you want to change in your life as a result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? What area of transformation needs to take place? Where do you need to experience the quickening, enabling power of the Holy Spirit? What's one thing that needs to change? Some of you may be prompted to pray for boldness, boldness in sharing the gospel. Some of you need the joy of the Holy Spirit, joy unspeakable and full of glory that He wants to release into your life. Some of you need a fresh revelation of God's love, that He loves you unconditionally, and you can receive that love and pass on that love to those around you. Maybe there's still a bondage that's refusing to break. You can pray for that bondage to be released, a sinful pattern of life that needs to break. You need to break free from that. That is the very purpose of God's Holy Spirit coming so you can live in victory. 
Some of you need that empowerment of the Spirit to be radically generous with your resources. You see that in the book of Acts. When the Spirit came upon the community of God's people, they were radically generous. Maybe you need empowerment to serve in a specific ministry area in the church. And the Lord may bring something else to your mind that needs to change. We don't want to leave this place the same way we came in here. We want to leave experiencing the full transformation that Jesus has for us. So focus on that one thing that needs to change in your life. And then after the song, we're going to have prayer partners here. And this is an opportunity for you to come up and pray with one of them. And even as they place their hands on your shoulder and agree with you, that is a, a visible sign of community, of partnership. That this is not just something between you and the Lord, but you are partnering with other believers in this, that you really want to see this transformation happen in your life. So all of our campuses will have prayer partners available in the front, and that is a time for you to come forward, a ministry time to receive even more that the Lord has for you. So let's all now stand together and uh, sing the song, welcome and affirm the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our midst. And then I'll come back and close us with the ministry time in our campuses. Our campus pastors will lead you in the time of ministry. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your our living home. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence Lord so Continue to remain in that posture of worship as we 
begin this ministry time. At this time, I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come up here. We've asked a number of them to come up front and minister to you. So make your way up. And as they're coming, if you're watching us online, you can type on the chat, what is something that you want to change in your life as a result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? And you can also ask for prayers and your chat hosts will be happy to pray with you online. And those of us here in the worship center, as I said, maintain that sense of Jesus' presence here through His Spirit, a posture of worship and adoration. And maybe some of you feel that nudge, that strong prompting that there's something that needs to change in your life. Something defining needs to take place. A deep transformation needs to happen. Now, if you're sensing that, I'm going to ask you to just make your way up. And we are here as a prayer team to pray for you and minister to you. It is a beautiful expression of community. We're partnering with you in prayer, agreeing with you, your heart's desire to see what needs to change in your life. And the rest of you can continue in that posture of worship and pray from where you are. But if you sense the prompting of the Spirit, just make your way up. There's a number of us here. We want to minister to you. We want to bless you and affirm you. So this is a, a time for personal ministry. And after that, I'm going to come back and close us with a benediction. But let's keep pressing and asking God for more of His presence and more of His transforming power in this place.